0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Constant Writers. This is a podcast where I, Dave Musson, talk to indie horror authors about them, their work and their relationship with Stephen King. So, across these episodes I get to introduce you to a great new indie author who might end up being your next favourite author. You'll learn more about them, you'll learn more about their work and then together me and my guest will geek out on Stephen King and we go in depth on one book of choice from my guest before rounding out with the 19 question Stephen King challenge. If you haven't checked out any other episodes, after you're done with this one, do go back through the feed and see what else you can find because there are some great conversations for you to discover. Now, I'll start with the bad news. The bad news is that this episode is the final episode of this season of Constant Writers. But the good news is my guest is Caitlin Marceau, who is quite frankly, one of the hottest properties in indie horror right now. She is doing all kinds of amazing things and my conversation with her was fantastic and is a brilliant way to round off this season. So you may know Caitlin from her collection Femina or from 23 McCormick Road or from her now award-winning novella, This Is Where We Talk Things Out, or just from her presence on social media. We talk about all of those things, we talk about women characters, we talk about her history as a writer we talk about what she wants you as a reader to take away from her work and of course we talk about Stephen King in particular we go in on misery because it's quite a strong woman in this one isn't that so yeah lots to enjoy with Kaylin she is an absolute writer of an interview and like I say perfect way to round off the season so settle back and enjoy this one and I'll be back on the other side just to say bye Haylen, welcome to Concert Writers. How are you
1: doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, well, thank thank you for giving up your time and, and coming on the show. It's um it's really great to have you on. You've you've been on my list for a while. So it's it's um fantastic to finally have this chat. Um we've obviously got we're gonna get into Stephen King a bit later on, but I wanna start, as I always do in these interviews, by talking about you. Um, so first question I always ask in these interviews, uh, what's your origin story with all things literature? When did you fall in love with with writing and, and with reading as well, I guess?
1: Oh man, from like the earliest age, I loved reading and writing. Not necessarily horror, <laughs> I feel like I have like a villain arc for that. <laughs> <laughs> but like with writing, um, my grandfather, he like always has loved reading. He's like a huge fan of like having as many books as he, like he hoards books like a dragon hoards gold. Like this man loves to read um and back when I was like too young to read like to be able to to you know pick up a book on my own he'd basically make these like custom made stories so we'd like go into the den and he's like okay what do you what do you want to hear about and he'd be like okay well I need to have at least 12 dragons in this story obviously uh but then a mouse who's a knight um and you can't forget the witches and he'd be like okay let's do it and they were terrible stories they were never any good um, I didn't know that at the time. I thought they were the best, <laughs> but looking back, you know, full of plot holes. Um, but it it really got me into like storytelling and just like the art of like crafting a story. And I just kept thinking, like, one day I'm going to be better than you, Papa. <laughs> I will. I will beat you at your game. <laughs> um, but no, I just it helped me fall in love with stories. So I think that was really it.
0: And and when when did you start taking it more seriously? Like, was there a point? When you did better, your grandpa, or like, or, or or was it was it a bit later than that? Like, what what made you think you could actually do this?
1: I still don't know if I think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I I think every writer who like is in the profession is constantly racked with like um, imposter syndrome and kind of wondering if they can make it. So I still have that like doubt of like, can I do this? Um, but I I don't know if this is a great trait or like an absolute toxic one of mine. <laughs> but I always kind of had the mentality that like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, I, it was never a question of like, oh, I hope one day I'll become a published author. It was always like, yeah, I'm I'm going to do that. Like, that's just like the thing I'm going to do. Um, And that's just sort of how I like approach everything in my life. Because I kind of feel like if you, if you tell yourself you can do it, it's already kind of done. If that makes any sense. So that's like, you know, so I didn't like, I didn't have like a specific date, but I just kind of tried my whole life to position myself in a way that would like benefit this like I'm an author I'm you know not going to be I am so like I made sure all my classes at school were like creative writing oriented or like English literature oriented um I like I went to Concordia and I went to a creative writing program and they're like really selective they only take like 60 kids a year or something like it's strangely competitive and like at the time I didn't it didn't even phase me that they would say no (laughs) like I was like yeah I'm gonna get in and then I got in, and I was like, "Wow, that was a lucky break." I got on very sideways, um, but yeah, it was just like always something that I told myself I was going to do. So I, I'm very lucky that the universe didn't call my bluff.
0: <laughs> and and, and we'll, I mean, we'll get to your books in a moment, but I was looking through your bibliography in preparation for this, and you've had you've you've sort of done that quite traditional horror author apprenticeship of having lots of shorter stories ending up in collections and and other publications i was i was curious to hear what you thought about the importance of of doing that apprenticeship particularly as a as a horror author so again those stories out there and doing the rounds or or at the very least like just being competent in the in the shorter story format, because it feels like it's quite an important pillar of of the genre so like how important was all that to you in terms of um i don't know not just building your brand but like just just realizing that you you can do it
1: yeah it was i don't know if i have like a great answer for this i wish i had like a better one than like i think it was a university <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like it, it kind of did sort of just snowball that way where i always told myself like oh i'm gonna be a novelist like i'm not really gonna waste my time like with short stories and i like had a really almost like elitist view of it but i feel like for like this is one of the things that I, I found was really interesting about going through university for creative writing, like just like from a personal standpoint, is that there's a lot of emphasis placed on like being a novelist. Mm-hmm. And like, that is like the one true, like way to be an author. So like for a lot of university, it was a lot of, um, a lot of professors kind of like downplaying the short story as kind of like, this is like a doodle before you write anything like real, you know? <laughs> And I really hated that because, like, some of, like, my favorite books were short story collections. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, the more I started to unpack that, the more I sort of felt that it really was this kind of elitist attitude about writing. Um, And I think a lot of the time, it's, it's one of the ways that, like, not everyone, but a lot of the professors that I dealt with were able to almost look down at newer writers like oh you're only writing short stories like you're not a real author you need to be in university and write a novel to be a real author you know which is like absolute garbage um so I just sort of wanted to to push back against that kind of elitism and really focus on honing a good short story because I just like personally feel that if you're able to craft a really like well-constructed short story in like a really wild world or like with a weird premise that like, it won't necessarily help you in writing novels but it's a really great way for you to test like your world building skills your character building skills on a budget right like if you have 5000 words and you're writing like a space story where words are currency right like you you've got to really like spend those words economically and like do your best to build a confident story Um, so for me, it was really just about kind of proving myself and sort of pushing back against like what I considered to be sort of like academic elitism in terms of short story writing. Um, and then as I got more into horror and the horror community, I was like, this is an amazing way to get to sample so many authors that realistically I'll never be able to read all of their books from, Mm -hmm. you know, like I could be reading every day for the rest of my life and still not read so many authors I want to read. So just like, I don't know, I feel like my appreciation of short stories really grew from there. I and mean, then it just sort of became a thing I like doing. So I sort of just like did it for a very long time. Uh until like the fever dream that was my novella. <laughs> and then like somehow I have now like switched teams and I'm doing a lot of like novella and novel and i of like very different. <laughs> yeah. So
0: but cool. I mean, I mean, I found short stories to be such a such a good grounding just in terms of like, you know, like when you're learning a language and they say that like the key to it is just doing it every day and doing like yeah. dance and like you know I, I've i I'm shameless plug for myself but I, like I've just put out a couple of mini collections of like micro fiction so like short horror short stories that are all nice. sort of I don't know 750 or words or less and again it's like a, like you were saying it's a really good test with that sort of economics of your writing but also just just getting the basics down of like you know oh, yeah. sort of tight dialogue tight descriptions get into the punch and like Hitting people straight away. And it's, I, I don't know, like I, you probably found similar. It's like really satisfying to get under someone's skin with not many words.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, I think the story that I like the most of my own is called In Utero. It's in Femina and it's tiny. It's like, I think it's like only three paragraphs or something. It's like, it's half a page, like in the book, it's like a tiny half page thing. And that, like, to this day is the one that a lot of people are like, what the f- did you Just <laughs> Like, what is this nightmare creation? And like, you have to pick your words so carefully like you were saying 750 words or less you need to make every single word count like that is a testament to like your ability to write concise but like to write really well so like congratulations (laughs) that's amazing
0: (laughs) thanks and then right back to you as well because i mean your, your stuff has just been has uh, been insanely good over the last couple of years i mean okay. i wanted to get over the like the last the last year or so It's it as, aside from like just such an impressive output but it's been it's been like hella busy for you as well like it feels like in a really good way it feels like your name is everywhere like in all the spaces i look and, and like for all the right reasons so i wanted to pick out some of these like standout releases for you and just i don't know just just get you talking a bit about the story behind them so let's start off with like, let's take Pampless This is where we taught things out on 23 McCormick Road. Like, give, give me a sort of, give the people listening and watching, like, bit of, bits of sort of elevator pitches behind those and a bit of a, a glimpse into the inspiration behind them.
1: Oh, geez. Okay. Jonah um, was really quite an elevator pitch, but Palimpsest is like the place to go if you want to read my like earlier stuff that's out of print. Okay. <laughs> like, I really want to see what she was doing like seven years ago. <laughs> that's in this book. Um, it's it's like a really nice retrospective one of my favorite pieces. Uh, and it's probably one of the few places you can find me writing like male protagonists.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I don't know why I've just sort of stopped writing <laughs> Everything is like female <laughs> forward now. Um, so that's like one of the few glimpses. Um, 23 of Road was a bit of like, I really wanted to do like a fun haunted house one. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with an oddly happy ending to it. Cause I feel like there's a lot of like haunted house stories where like things are terrible all the time and they never get better. Um, And I actually just finished writing This Is Where We talk Things Out when I started McCormick. So I was like, let's make it happy. (laughs) Let's like give it a positive little end. Um, So it's like, it's good for people who like horror without like the horrific ending. Mm -hmm. Um, And then This Is Where We talk Things Out, I always kind of joke. It was like my fugue state novella (laughs) where like, over a, like <laughs> like a week i was like i need to write the story right now or i'll like never do it mm-hmm. um and i like hammered it out and it's kind of a love letter to misery so like uh-huh. just sort of ties in perfectly really
0: <laughs> yeah definitely um, yeah. and then what about so i've got i've got one just to show on screen here so i, I mean it doesn't show up great so my kindle but we've got seminar mm-hmm. and um a blackness absolute what what about those two what's the what's the story behind those
1: Femina is kind of so. This been this could be a longer story, but I'll try to like keep it keep it short.
0: Go, go as long as you need.
1: <laughs> was just so in university, just my love of academics. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I was told in like in the creative writing program, and not by like I had some professors who were fantastic, and some were, who were just like, I mean, I'm sorry for like swearing, but absolute dog shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these these worst professors <laughs> were like, nobody wants to read stories about women. Like, unless you're writing romance or chick light, like, like we don't really care. It's not like a big deal. Um, you know, if you're going to publish, don't use your name, use like C Marcelo or like come up with like a male pseudonym. Cause like women just don't write horror and it's not perceived as well. And it was a lot of like really awful suggestions <laughs> like that. Like, it's one of the reasons why I wrote a lot of male protagonists at first. Cause I was like, well, if not gonna read stories about women, then like I'll write these stories with a female protagonist and then just like swap the name at the end. Like, that's basically all I did, you know? Um, Cause I was like terrified of like not being read because I happened to have like, you know, a woman as the lead. Um, and then just like the further it got into my career, the more I was like, this is so bullshit. <laughs> like, I am not doing this. So like Femina is kind of a callback to that where it's like, everything is about like women. It's horror about being a woman. It's a horror about like gender roles and misogyny. Um, and that was kind of like a yeah, sort of a callback to all of the nonsense women are told in writing and also all of the nonsense that like women and femmes deal with on a daily basis, like absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. Um and then A Black is an Absolute was kind of my last collection, but the first one I put together in like a weird way. Okay. Um I hadn't necessarily been familiar with the idea that you publish like previously published stories as a collection. In my brain, I was like, I need to write all of these stories for mm-hmm. my collection. Um, and then I did kind of center on this like theme of like Canadiana, like the Canadian experience. Um, unintentionally, <laughs> it was like I didn't realize until I had like, amassed these stories. I was like, oh, this actually works out pretty perfectly. Um, and it was the first collection I had written and put together. And then the last one out the door. So it's kind of like an interesting sort of, yeah.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. And- and you mentioned on on femina there, obviously it's a it's a strong look on 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 women and 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 um, and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I wanted yeah. to touch specifically on on women in horror with you. I mean, I'm sure we'll mention it again when we get to your king book choice, which is misery. Yeah. Um, but the the indie horror space in particular, it feels like you know this is a space where, particularly for women authors. Authors who identify as women, you're one of the leading lights, and, and probably, probably even even if you don't realise it, you're you're probably inspiring many many others. at the moment with <laughs> the success you're having, no, it sense. really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really feels like this is a space where where authors who identify as female can really thrive, at least to my eyes. But I'm obviously a straight white male looking in from the outside. Do you get the sense of that? Is this a good scene for women?
1: Y- yes. Yes, and, like, it's kind of a weird scenario or or community to be in because, like, I think overall it's fantastic. Like, there were so many wonderful women authors in this space who, like, continuously push for women in horror on, like, a daily basis. Um, They've been doing it for ages, and they will continue doing it, (laughs) I suspect for ages. Um, We had, like, I I think it's kind of slowing down a bit now. Like, we're sort of trying to, like, phase into something else but there was like Women in Horror Month. Uh, I think it's still around. There was like an organization that did it, but I think they changed. I don't think they're doing it anymore. But there's like a whole month dedicated to women in horror. Um, we constantly have like women-only anthologies, right? Um, to like talk about the female experience um, and and what it's like to be a woman in, in, in a world. Um, but at the same time, and I think this kind of goes for every space, there are of course bad actors in it. And I think especially in the indie community where everyone is so close and everyone's kind of helping everyone out and trying to like be as much a part of the community as they can be. When there are bad actors who are in that space, I feel like sometimes it cuts a lot deeper Mm -hmm. than like if it had been in more traditional publishing. And like, I could be totally wrong. Maybe that's just like because I'm more in the indie scene, but it just feels that like, because we're all so tight knit when there is that one person who like is victimizing women or who is taking advantage of like their authority to try to like leverage that versus like women in the community, it can be a lot more intimidating, a lot more isolating because you're worried. Like, well, what if I say something and they happen to be friends with everyone else in the indie scene, Mm. you know? So like, I think it is a great space for women to be. I think it's fantastic that women are connecting with other women and like we're trying to make this place a lot safer and we really have each other's backs. Like I don't think you see that as much in like Trad publishing as you do specifically in indie. Um, but I, I do think we can always make it safer and better. Um, and we need to. it's like we have an obligation to each other to do that. so
0: yeah and and I guess I guess on a, on a slightly more positive note, like it, you mentioned some of the other um, women authors out there. Like, if I asked you for some recommendations off the top of your head, if your your favorites, in particularly in the indie horror scene, who would you throw out?
1: So right now, Laura Keating is, like, my absolute favorite. Agony's, Lone, like, Lodestone. What is this book? <laughs> it's so good. I had the absolute, like, fortune of being able to blurb it ahead of its release. Um, and the book just, like, knocked my socks off. Like, Laura is an unbelievably talented author that, like, just everyone read her (laughs) like just read her stuff when you go to pick mine up pawns pick hers up first and then come back to it like she deserves so much more recognition um Hayley Piper I think is just like a general favorite just fantastic writing all around crazy concepts like absolute 10 on 10 um Jessica McHugh amazing poetry like her blackout poetry collections are always like breathtaking and like poignant um and yeah there's like so many more, but I think those three right now for, like, very different reasons, are kind of, like, at the top of my stack for now. <laughs> it always changes based on, like, what I'm reading.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, cool. There's some great suggestions there. And I should have said earlier, like, all of the, the titles and things that we talk about in this, I'll make sure they're all linked in the description so people can check them out as well. Awesome. And thinking particularly about your work, like, if, if somebody's checking out this interview perhaps hasn't read you, like what, what would you say is again i use the phrase elevator pitch but like, what's the pitch for your style of writing and i guess what what do you what do you hope to what sort of effect do you hope to have on people who read your work
1: oh man i guess like the quote-unquote elevator pitch is if you like unhinged people or humans as monsters um that's definitely where i feel like i thrive i do have supernatural stories out there of course are a lot of like you know, paranormal or otherworldly stuff happening. But like, I still think fundamentally, it's like the human aspect of my work that's like the scariest. (laughs) Um, So like definitely, yeah, or if you like overwhelming Canadian literature, Mm I like, I I feel very much like, oh, I forget what his name was. he he had this term called maple punk that I thought was so funny. Um, And then someone else said Northern Gothic, and those are all very accurate. Like, I love these terms. yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good description of it. Um, I hope people who read my work walk away feeling really unsettled and distrustful of everyone in their life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> good outlet yeah. to have on life.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want them to look at the things that make them feel safe and suddenly feel unsafe by them. Should. So like everything from like their their moms to their household cats <laughs> be distrusting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't trust cats as a rule, anyway. But yeah, I see, I see where you come. That that's actually a really interesting segue to my next question because I wanted to touch on your um your community magazine that you've you've done the the Lachlan Hill Community Magazine. Yeah, because <laughs> like, I mean, anyone who follows you online gets a real sense of like, you know, you you do clearly have a great sense of humor and you've got a fun side as well. So like, tell me about those magazines because I mean, they to me they they reminded me a lot. I don't know if you you're familiar with the podcast Welcome to Night Vale, but they. Yeah. They had a sense of that about them. So, like, what's tell tell people watching and listening about those? Because uh, I really enjoyed. them.
1: <laughs> oh well, thank you. First of all, I, I'm always so excited when someone likes Laughlin Hills. I like so. I started in journalism. Oddly enough, I used to write for like local magazines, local newspapers, like things like that. A lot of online news sites, um, and I always thought it was like so dreadfully boring. <laughs> Like the surreal that I'm in fiction, it's not what i love to do, Um, but it was like a great way to, you know, pay rent, (laughs) that's sort of what I did. Um, And I always thought it would be like so much more fun to have like a supernatural or paranormal or like ridiculous twist on like a community magazine. Um, I just kind of thought like what would happen one day if like you ordered like Home and Garden Magazine and you got Laughlin Hills instead and you're like trying to read through this like serious a, like community magazine and just things are off the rails. Um, so that was kind of like my attempt to like put together something like that. Like if this this ridiculous town existed and someone accidentally got their hands on like, you know, someone's mail, that's sort of what would would devolve. Um, I also feel like horror and comedy go so well together. It's like so understated for me <laughs> how much I love horror comedy. comedy. Um, so I kind of wanted to try my hand on that. Um, For now, the magazines it's heartbreaking, but they're on pause Mm -hmm. um, because I I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it now, but like, I'm going to. (laughs) Mm. So like, don't tell anyone. (laughs) Mm. Uh, um, But like, instead of having them as like a a quarterly magazine, I'm basically launching a big website. So it'll have like weekly updates instead. So it'll be like more like live news. Yeah. You know, Um, and then like a yearly edition that will be coming out. Um, and there's actually a series of books in place, uh, right now that I'm working on that take place in Laughlin Hill. Nice. So we'll have the magazine and then this journalist who moves to the wrong city.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Now that sounds really intriguing. Um, I mean, yeah. before be, we're going to get onto your, your King chat in a moment, but there was a couple of other things I wanted to touch on that are sort of on the horizon as this podcast drops and, and something we, we this is like a last minute addition that you mentioned to me, um. Before we push record, and it will have it will have happened a couple of weeks ago, as people are <laughs> watching and listening. Um, You won an award. I did <laughs> like wow? Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, so I found out that I—I I mean, I guess by the time this is playing, <laughs> I've already been like, thank you, everyone. <laughs> but I found out that I got the um, Godless Six 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 Award for like novella, like cast novella. So I have been freaking out about that for like two weeks now. Um, uh i'm still blown away (laughs) by it (laughs) and uncomfortable by it (laughs) i guess i don't know i like people enjoying my work but i always get like nervous about praise like that so Mm -hmm. like i don't know i'm very excited um we i think by the point yeah i think when this comes out um so i think it's already been announced but if not surprise (laughs) um the novella's coming out again um only it's being issued as a hardback but like a really nice dust jacket and it's going to have illustrations in it so we get to see uh the nightmare landscape of this novella
0: and this um, is this is where we talk things out right
1: it is yeah it's where we talk things out i um had the absolute joy of getting to like illustrate part of the nightmare that was <laughs> this story yeah. um so that was really cool but i am flabbergasted it won because <laughs> there are so many good novellas out last year so yeah, didn't see that coming at all. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, congratulations. It's um it's well earned and and yeah, enjoy it. And and I guess so there's there's one wow and then like a, a second wow, uh bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier, you're gonna be a novelist. You've got a novel coming out. Can, wh- what can you tell us about that?
1: Oh, it's absolutely unhinged. <laughs> it's like absolutely just buck nuts. Um, The story is basically of a a disenfranchised housewife. She hates her husband. She hates her house, hates her kid, hates her dog. (laughs) Like, she's miserable. Um, But the one thing she does find joy in is having an affair with her neighbor. Um, And his wife is unfortunately sick with cancer. She's in hospice. Um, So the two of them are kind of like relieving their frustrations with each other. And she's fine with that. And she's actually ecstatic when his wife finally passes away, thinking that will be, like, the start of her new life, Um, only for, you know, for him to end the affair. Uh, And she kind of unwinds from there. Um, There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but the one I kind of like the most is that she starts falling in love with his dead wife, which is kind of, like, all I can say, I guess, on that front. But it really is just, like, a really unhinged character study of, like, what happens when you become super disenfranchised with suburbia and the life you were told you were supposed to want
0: and what's what's the i like in terms of the basics like title release date what's
1: what, when can oh, yeah find it um it's called it wasn't supposed to go like this it's coming mm-hmm. out on september 17th from dark lit press or september 16th 17th it's 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 literally in a september. year after <laughs> yeah it's like one year after the survey came uh, the survey talk things out came out which is kind of like crazy to me so i think i think it's the 16th or the 17th
0: Cool. september people will find it yeah (laughs) you can pre-order it now okay great (laughs) well let's um this is a stephen king channel so let's um let's move on to talking about him and i'm going to start this section with the same question i always start this section with Like, what does stephen king mean to you as a fan and what sort of place does he hold in your heart
1: Oh, he he is the author my mom cheats on me with. That is that, that is <laughs> No, she like it's kind of a weird situation with Stephen King cuz like I love his creativity, I love the worlds he builds, the absolute unhinged stories he writes. And then at the same time, I'm like he's the litmus test <laughs> against which all of my writing is like paired against according to my mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause she like so growing up, I didn't love horror. I was like an absolute coward. I wouldn't read anything. Like I was, like a real chicken about it. Um, but she loved Stephen King. Like he was her author, you know. So once I started getting over my fear of horror and started writing, she would compare me to him, (laughs) which would give you a compliment. (laughs) So like I have grown from that. (laughs) I just like appreciate his writing, but like he will always be like the author that i have to think about and be like okay would my mom be proud of me if i wrote this or would she be like stephen king is better (laughs) like every time if she doesn't make a comment about how good stephen king is when she reads one of my things i'm like i did it i'm okay (laughs) this book isn't terrible (laughs) it passes the king test
0: (laughs) and so with that in mind like i always ask my guess, like, what sort of impact King has had on their own writing, if any, do, do you feel he has had any impact on yours at all?
1: I, 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 like, I don't, and I do in a weird way, so, like, I don't think in terms of, like, what I write, or, like, the way I write, I don't feel like he has, like, impacted that specifically, because, like, one of the things, again, I, I feel like I have a lot of hang-ups about academia, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, one of the things I set out to do is, like, be very clear about my voice when I write, um, to sound like myself. Um, cause I didn't want to sound like anyone else, especially when like we were told to sound like, you know, specifically like male writers, like that just bothered me. So I didn't want to sound like him. I didn't want to like have his influence on my work, but at the same time, like she's such a massive author in horror. Like, there's there's no way around it. Everywhere you look, people are Stephen King fans and, like, for good reason. So, like, I feel like there's, like, a quality uh, about his writing that I want to always make sure my writing has in its own way. Um, specifically just, like, having great characters, having realistic characters, having characters who are, like, absolutely batshit crazy at all times of the day. Um, so I guess in that sense, like, it's more like less of an influence and more like he's raised the bar for these things Mm -hmm. and i just really want to make sure that like every time i write something i clear it which doesn't always happen and have
0: you have you like since since getting into horror and stuff have you have you sort of caught up on the king reading that your mum will have done like are you have you have you gone through his works have you still got quite a few to do like where are you
1: yeah I feel like I've read like the key ones, you know, mm-hmm. so like It, Harry, Misery, Pet Cemetery, Salem's Lot. Um, but like some of the more obscure ones or the ones that don't necessarily fall into horror, I definitely haven't. Like I haven't read any, it was not obscure, but I haven't read any of like The Stand mm-hmm. or um, the, oh gosh, there's like a whole series. Is that part of The Stand, I want to say?
0: You say? You're say thinking of The Dark Tower, aren't you? The
1: first That's the one, yes. Yeah. 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 Haven't read that. Haven't read The Stand. I didn't read The Green Mile. So, like, somewhere someone is streaming at me to pick up these books. And I will, probably, <laughs> one day.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like you said earlier, there's a, there's never enough time to do all the reading you want to do, yeah. is there? Well, one book you have read is Misery. We've already mentioned that that's your yeah. book of choice. And we'll, we'll go into that in a moment. But I always like to ask at this point, like, were there any honorable mentions or were there any other books that you considered for this?
1: Oh, Carrie, 100%. I love Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a fever dream. And it's like, it's just this weird dynamic of like, you feel horrible pity for her. Like, mm-hmm. you feel bad for her and her her circumstance. Like, the mom as well, like, as horrible as she is and as terrible as she is, like, the trauma she's been through and like, the way she sees the world currently is just like, really upsetting and you can't help but like, have that like, I hate her, but like, Feel bad for a kind of scenario, so, mm-hmm. like that was definitely a contender. Um, Pet Cemetery was another one that, like, I always have loved because it's just like it's so brutal. Yep. Like, it's just an awful awesome brutal <laughs> book that, like, nothing ends well, <laughs> and I I do really like that about that one. So those those were the two that I was really kind of like debating. Mm-hmm. Um, but Misery has always been my favorite. So. Well, I'm glad we get to talk about it
0: yeah well let's get on to it so um we have misery with the 1987 um oh, wow. thriller that um was was going to be a Bachman book but then Bachman got rumbled um author paul sheldon in a car accident rescued by his number one fan annie wilkes um and then all hell breaks loose um why this one what is it about this one
1: i think you really summed it up all hell breaks loose <laughs> right <laughs> i like It's. I find what I love about Misery specifically is it's just, like, these huge, terrifying concepts, right? Of, like, there is body horror in the mutilation of this man from the car accident and Annie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, like, an absolute scary, horrible scenario to be in Um, of him being, like, trapped in, like, his flesh prison. (laughs) But then also, like, in the middle of nowhere, no one knows where he is and he's actually imprisoned in this house. So these are like some big things he's dealing with, but it all takes place in like a small setting. And I love that. It's just something so terrifying about it. Like, I mean, this is like a horrible comparison, but we have these real life horror stories, right? That we see all the time of like, you know, they discovered that there was this woman chained in his house for 27 years, you know, mm-hmm. like horrifying stories like that. So like, I like this book because it's so possible. Like it is, it's so conceivably possible, mm. in the worst way.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned it's a small setting and a small cast of characters as well. I mean, yeah. you're only really two to talk about. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on on Paul Sheldon first, like because we, we've we've talked about men and male authors earlier. Like, yeah, are you, are you a fan of Paul? Like, and what do you make of his writing as well? Because we get samples of it in the book.
1: I don't. I feel like I don't know if this is like uh, a divisive opinion to have about Paul and again it's been like a little while since I've read this book so like maybe I am just like remembering him in the worst light (laughs) but I just kind of feel like he is a really prime example of authors who dislike their readers Mm -hmm. is the best way to put it like he he doesn't like misery like he doesn't like his titular character a lot (laughs) of this of a series he I feel like dislikes not just Annie because of like Annie being terrifying, but doesn't really have a high opinion of her as a reader. And like the way he he tries to like frame like I, I believe it was fast cars, right? And like this, he's gonna escape this misery series. He's gonna you know, have a new career. Like that I feel tells me a lot about how he sees the series he's crafted and the fans around it. Like, why are you so desperate to escape the thing that got you so successful like i don't know i i have like a real great but this it's like we see that again like maybe it's just like as a woman who is like seeing a lot of like male authors kind of be jerks <laughs> but i feel like we get a lot of authors that like or not as many now but we get those authors who feel like they are like better than their work better than their readers kind of like dismissing concerns that like fans might have because like They're the like authority, like TM, you know. Like it's just really bizarre, and I feel like Paul has that relationship with his readers as well, where he is like better than them, like Mm -hmm. they owe him something, and and I find that just like such a weird dynamic. So I don't like, (laughs) I don't, I don't want him to suffer, but I don't like him.
0: (laughs) And you mentioned fast cars. I wanted to ask you about that because um, like one of the things that I I find really interesting about your work is you've got some really evocative and um interesting engaging titles and then paul Sheldon, as you mentioned is going to have his big break with a with a book called fast cars like are you are you are you tempted to maybe take that approach for your next series of work and i don't know like (laughs) big donuts are going to get even
1: longer
0: good okay good good And something else I had to ask, actually, while, while, while I've got it here. i am sure you've probably seen this, but have you seen this um, this cover of Misery's Return <laughs> that you get? Yeah. The, the, and you know, oh you know who God. that is modeled on, right? Don't you? You know, the guy. Is. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a hunk. Anyway, I just thought any excuse to whip that out is uh, <laughs> it's, is
1: always it. the cover of my next one. It'll just be oh, nice, like cuddled up to, like.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. You you cuddled up to. To the dream version of Stephen King, is that? I, is that what you're I was for?
1: just going to say a random male model, but even better, I'll just like gently Photoshop my face onto onto Misery.
0: Nice, <laughs> nice. Look forward to that. That's going to be the illustrate the illustrated version of your development exactly, Yeah, I see. The, it's all coming together now. <laughs>
1: it, take, it takes um, a weird erotic turn in the middle that no one saw coming with Stephen oh, King. That's nice cool.
0: This is the special edition. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Good. Um, <laughs> let's bring it back to the cast of characters in in Misery. Um. So, not necessarily a fan of Paul. Um, Annie Wilkes, like, are you are you a fan of her? Are you were her number one fan, maybe. Like, talk talk to me <laughs> about Annie.
1: I have like, okay, like she is unhinged. She is out there. She's terrifying. Would I want to be BFFs with her? Probably not, <laughs> as I don't trust. I would get to keep one of my feet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, I don't want to come across this woman in a dark alley. But I find her like. Because, I mean, like, she's an angel of death, right? Like, in in the story, she is set up as an angel of death. So there's, like, that nightmare existing. But if we can look past that nightmare, I think she's, like, in a really interesting, like, weird situation where, like, she is very isolated and these characters are her escape from that isolation. But then there's also this weird thing where, like, she has single-handedly caused her own isolation. So it's, like, hard to feel bad for her about it because, like, she she killed her family. <laughs> like, she has murdered a lot of people. She's done a lot of terrible things. So, like, she should be isolated, perhaps. Um, but then, like, she has this character that she has, like, latched onto and found some kind of comfort in. um, a- And it has resonated with her so profoundly that, like, you can't help but feel bad for her when she finds out that, like, the character she loves and she cares for has been kind of just, like, unceremoniously removed from her own series. Um, And the author has an absolute, like, this author that she admires, (laughs) and, as we said, is the number one fan of, like, has proven to dislike his own work and the fans around his work. Like, it's just, like, such a weird and horrible dynamic. So, like, I don't like her as in, like, hey, girl, let's text, what's up, you know? But, like, I can really appreciate that that crafted character
0: and in terms of the villain being a woman do you as a woman reader get anything extra from that do you think
1: i don't like it all depends on on the story in this case i don't personally get like too too much from it i mean like angels of death generally are women so like that is kind of an interesting like serial killer like archetype to sort of highlight Mm -hmm. um is I feel like a lot of the time when we talk about them, they're like this femme fatale angel of death who's like prettier and more elegant and then like also happens to be just like a nurse killing her patients or like some nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least in the experience that I've had seeing these like angel of death characters in media, I think it's really interesting to have like Amy who like isn't any of that. She isn't especially elegant or like overly beautiful. She's kind of just like there, right? She's a bit nondescript. Mm-hmm. Um, So I kind of, I find that like an interesting sort of like characterization of her as like, this woman is very average, very isolated and is doing something to kind of feel more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is admittedly an interesting dynamic between this like woman who is like clinging to these characters, living vicariously through misery, is like obsessed with this book and then finds out that like this male author of the series, like has no respect for the work he's created or the people who consume it and like i do kind of feel like that dynamic does exist currently like between some authors and the readers so like it is kind of nice to see how that sort of um like power dynamic is played out between like a male author and like a female reader And like i feel like a lot of like women readers are generally overlooked and the more i'm talking about this the more i'm like yeah i do get something out of her being a woman (laughs) It's because, like, female readerships are often overlooked. Like, the way we dismiss authors, the way we dismiss bands for appealing specifically to, like, women and girls is really telling of how we as society see women and girls. Mm -hmm. Like, even though they will, like, consume the most media, they'll consume or purchase the most, like, fan items, like, that kind of stuff, they're not really wanted as a readership or as an audience. So it's interesting to see that kind of playing out between Annie and her love of misery and then, like, Paul and his hatred of all of them. Yeah, so like, yeah. I, I, I changed my answer. I do get something out of it. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. And and Annie is obviously one of one of many female leads that, that King has in his work. And, like, by this point, I think what we'd had, you know, we'd had Carrie, we have got Mother Abigail and Franny in the Standridge. I know you haven't read, but they are. So quite celebrated characters we obviously got christine um charlie mcgee and firestarter we got bev from the losers club i know i mean it's it's obvious it's obvious to pretty much anyone that king often lets himself down when he writes about women but what do you think from the king stuff you've read what do you think of his women characters so rather than rather than when he goes and instantly comments on their breasts for example but in terms of how he builds uh, his women characters what what do you think he's he's like when it comes to that
1: like again maybe it's just because i've had like not the same reader like experience as everyone else again i haven't i'm late to the horror game on all things i feel like despite this being like my chosen field i feel like i'm always kind of catching up to like the years i've missed on that mm-hmm. i do feel like from this out that i have read like one thing i've noticed and it's not just like King specifically but one thing I, I do kind of notice in his writing is like a lot of the women are incompetent in some way and that like I mean you can say that about the male characters too so I don't always think it's unique to just like the women in his work but there's something that's just like they need to rely on someone else for whereas the men can be like incompetent but they still don't necessarily need to like rely on anyone else or like help or support or comfort. I feel too that like, and again, this, I don't feel like is necessarily exclusive to Kings. I don't kind of want to single them out on it, but I feel like the women can be like overly emotional, like a caricature of women. Like when we talk about like women getting angry, we, we've we talked a lot more in the last couple of years about feminine rage. Um, and one of the things that like have, have come up repeatedly about it is how men tend to write this like feminine rage, just like women crying and like throwing their arms up and yelling and like and he has these like outbursts of absolute fury but like feminine rage for the most part is very silent it's very quiet it's very like you go from that crying to like that feminine rage kicks in and suddenly you're like cool as a cucumber but ready to like rip a man in half you know like you're it's a different kind of experience and I think a lot of men write um so do you find a lot of his women tend to be kind of like over the top dramatic i think mean, that's that's fine there are people who are that way mm-hmm. but i feel like it's telling when it's only the women and always the women in some of yeah. work that tend to be this way um but again i don't like i don't want to just say it's king because like a lot of men do this and you know it's we're working on it <laughs> yeah just, working just, on it.
0: <laughs> just out of interest if you yeah. in your king reading have you done gerald's game and Lisi's story yet
1: No, I really want to get to Gerald's game, though, because I've heard nothing but good things about this. I hear that's one, too, where, like, the characters are different than what you're used to. Mm, So, like, I really want to read it.
0: (laughs) And I I think both both of those as as a pair would almost be interesting for you to follow on from Misery, because, so, like, Gerald's game was 92, so a few years on from this. And it was right at the start when he was on a real kick on sort of writing about survivors' domestic abuse and stuff like that. And then Lisi's story is 2006 and is is basically like a love letter to his his wife and his marriage. Um, so there, I think that it'd be interesting, like if 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 slash when you get a chance to go through those, see yeah. how you think he progresses in terms of his of his female leads, because that I think you'll probably get something from both of those.
1: Yeah, I also feel too like I mean, the writing I've seen of his is like the older stuff, right? And like every mm. the more you write, the more you grow, the more your style changes, you know, your lived experiences, like. Will color the way you like write characters and the way you see them. So, like, I am sure his writing is different now. And like, watch like every other book from this point onward. It's like a better female protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I just had the misfortune of reading all the ones that are kind of like, "woe was me" sort of thing. You know.
0: Well, well, after this one, the, after this one, cocaine's not involved. So yeah, a slight difference there.
1: <laughs> I I've heard that as well. <laughs>
0: And um, We talked earlier about, you were touching on sort of like this this toxic element that Paul Sheldon has to him in terms of how he views his own fans and stuff. But yeah. I guess obviously another reading of Misery is of that toxic fandom side of things that, that still feels very relevant today. I mean, one of the supposed inspirations behind this was King finding a fan had broken into his house and had got a fake bomb strapped to his chest and was like, you, I don't know, you killed my favorite character or whatever, I'm going to blow you up. Like, how how do you feel from your memory of reading it and where we are in society now, like, that toxic fandom element, does does that stand up for you as a kind of this?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been talking a lot about, like, Sheldon's hatred of, like, his work and his fans and, like, how I kind of feel like that's connected. But that is absolutely not to dismiss the fact <laughs> that, like, Annie has some entitlement going on here. And there is definitely the toxic fandom. Like... I mean, I kind of hate bringing up this example, but like, I always feel like it's a great example to bring up. But like, Star Wars fans in mm-hmm. present day, um, there is an actress, I think, who like didn't want to continue like reprising her role. Uh, I forget who, she, what her name is, but she was in like the last three movies, I want to say, or the last two movies and then didn't appear in the third one or something. I don't know. It was like a whole big thing. Everyone hated her. Um, people are like, unrelenting about like what they want to see from like the star wars like actors in the universe and it just feels a lot sometimes like the complaining the anger like if you love something why are you so mad about it all the time you know i understand having constructive criticism and wanting to like voice frustrations with stuff but like some fans take things too far like if you're sending like death threats to a director or an actress, I, like we've crossed so many lines at this point, <laughs> mm. you know? So like, yeah, I definitely think there's like a lot to be said about current day toxic fan culture. Um, and then we see it I and mean, then we even see it too. when we have like men who are gatekeeping fandoms from women, right? Like that's like a huge one of like, you know, h- how dare we have more inclusive representation in this piece of media that's been around for 50 years. I only want white men. <laughs> like it's just like it's mind boggling. Um, yeah, but yes, I think it very much holds up.
0: So, in terms of of misery, just in general, like, do you, do you have a particular standout favorite scene that springs to mind?
1: Oh, geez, um, I don't, I don't know if it's a favorite because they're both dreadful moments. Mm-hmm. But like when she just kind of comes in and takes that foot away from him. Mm-hmm. it is like the most terrifying like you know what's happening you know what's about to transpire but you are like absolutely stuck experiencing it with him and I felt like that was just like absolutely brutal mm-hmm. um but I also really liked her like visceral reaction to finding like the new book he he'd written he was like gonna set on fire mm-hmm. and like her just like absolute just harrowed reaction to that was also it was oddly heartbreaking I-, I will say like there's fury and heartbreak in that so like yeah. Yeah. Which are like the big key moments, I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no, that's 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 fine. And I was curious if if you happen to find yourself um basically in Paul's situation and you were trapped by Annie, like I was gonna ask like how, what would your tactics be for escape? But like what what do you think you do? Would would you try and escape? Would you just would you just lie there and take it?
1: We did again. I'm not so resourceful. <laughs> I like I don't, like, I don't <laughs> I'm not very good at lying, so I feel like any kind of like attempt to like lie or placate her would just like not have <laughs> like i'd be seen through um and i am just like yeah i just i don't think i'd be so tough like you take my leg you win like i'm out <laughs> like yeah. i'm done
0: yeah fair enough
1: i i accept it i guess <laughs> set myself on fire instead of the manuscript maybe for sort of like the quick way out
0: again yeah yeah fair enough yeah, um, no. so before we wrap on misery obviously it spawned a very Famous, very popular um, adaptation in nineteen ninety, the Rob Reiner one with um with James Caan and Kathy Bates. Like, are you are you a fan of that as a movie? Yeah,
1: yeah. I love it. Yeah, I they make they make Sheldon more likable in mm. that. I will argue. Yeah, personally speaking, he doesn't seem to have as much contempt um as like the novelization. Yeah,
0: yeah, and we out of curiosity, were you aware there was once There was there's been a stage uh, show version of it as well with Bruce Willis as nope. uh, Paul Sheldon.
1: This this new news will haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> I like need to find. My dad is the biggest Bruce Willis fan ever. Like oh, he man. loved like eighties Bruce Willis. Like mm-hmm. we got him for his birthday just passed, uh, and for his birthday, my partner got him the record of like Bruce Willis's like singing career, wow. like the, like the one album he had. So knowing there's like a misery with Bruce Willis in the world,
0: yeah. I, yeah, I, I really hope there is a recording somewhere because. Oh my god! Uh, and it, and you were saying as you were saying earlier, it's such a small setting. It's such a claustrophobic thing. Like it, it's such a natural fit for a stage production as well. And, oh yeah. yeah. I'd love to. I like you. I'd love to see him do that. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there in case you were, in case you weren't aware. Um, so um, before we finish on on misery then, and we um we sort kind of get on to wrapping this up um, just the same sort of question I'm asking everyone at this point if there was somebody watching or listening um, who hasn't checked out Misery yet, like what three words would you describe to sell it to them?
1: Oh, Lost republic. Mm-hmm. Intense, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm try- I, I don't want to... Unhinged. I'll just leave it Unhinged. unhinged. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a lot like some of your work, really, but <laughs> that's no bad thing at all, but... No, good. Well, well, Caitlin, this has been a lot of fun and we are almost done, but um, we've got one more thing to do. And you know how some podcasts, it's like, there's a fun feature at the end and it's like, hey, you, are you up for doing this, all of this kind of stuff? That's not the case here. We're, we're doing it. Um, it's the 19 <laughs> Question King Challenge. I just wanted okay. to check that you're ready to do it.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be ready to do it until I just jump in.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Let's let's go. So it, it is a quick fire challenge. You, you don't need to give me any reasoning at all. Okay. Um, so yeah, just just go with it. I might ask you for reasoning if something comes up, but generally try and keep it quick fire. So um, let's rattle through it. Um, the nineteen question quick fire challenge. So, what was your the first King book that you ever read? Misery. Oh, nice. And <laughs> what was the most recent one you read?
1: Ah, uh, oh, uh, Running Man. Does he count yeah, it with Bachman?
0: Yeah, definitely. Bachman okay, is King. Yeah. King is Bachman.
1: Yeah, just in case there's a differentiator. Unless we're, unless we're not counting the Bachman books. Oh, no,
0: we're, def- we're definitely counting. Okay. I mean, mis- Misery. Misery was yeah. going to be a Bachman book. So yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your all-time favourite King book? Misery. What about your all-time least
1: favourite?
0: Um, What do you think is King's most underrated book?
1: i don't i don't think i have one for this maybe misery it's, it's the best book ever i'll die okay. on. okay
0: fair enough i'm <laughs> um, thinking about cover art of stephen king books what's your favorite cover art for a king book
1: uh uh pet cemetery
0: okay the original one yes the cat on. yeah yeah <laughs> and do you have a least favorite in terms of cover art
1: running man it's stupid ball i hate it
0: <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um I guess since I might know your answer to this, but uh, what's the, what's the one King book you could recommend to anyone?
1: Uh, oddly enough, Carrie. Okay, okay. Misery, oh, but Carrie is messed up.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of adaptations, so movies, miniseries, all of those kind of things, what's your favorite King adaptation?
1: Controversial, but The Shining.
0: Okay. And um, what about your least? I sorry, I take it the Kubrick Shining and not the '97 miniseries, that
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Um, and what's your least favorite adaptation?
1: Uh, Pet Cemetery, but like the newest one.
0: Okay. I was going to say we were going to fall out there, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this next question, I'm going to give you the opportunity.
1: Or The Mist, sorry, or The Mist, okay. the, the show. I, I yeah. the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, ah oh, I hated that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, both, both perfectly valid choices. <laughs> um, with the clarifications, obviously, because again, The Mist, of the movie is, um, pretty darn good. Um, Okay, so this one, I'm going to give you the chance to have a King character make a cameo in your own writing. Who are you
1: going to pick? Annie. Okay.
0: Um, Scary. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is a question that often um, people have, have struggled to answer, but I'll continue to, to ask it because it's in my list. Um, which King book or story would you say is most similar to your style of writing? Misery. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and for this, for this next one, I want you to give me one king book for each of these. So one king book that you keep forever. So you read it, you reread it until it's falling apart and you love it. It's on your shelf always. One that you read only once. So it stays on your shelf and you maybe pull it out and look at it occasionally, but you never go back to it. And one king book that you just delete from existence.
1: Okay. Misery is the first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to say... Uh... Salem's uh yes, yeah, Salem's Lot will be the second one. Mm-hmm. Um I'm so sorry. Christine is the last one.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Sorry. Um no, it's that's that's fine. It's, it's it's always good to hear people's choices. And the last five questions are just a straight either or. Um so we'll start off. Are you more about the book or the movie? In general? Mm-hmm. Well for King.
1: Uh,
0: um, the Stand or It?
1: It. Ah, oh, I have to. <laughs> it's only your...
0: <laughs> You've not read The Stand, yeah. That's no, fine. Um, Would you rather take a holiday in Derry, which is the setting for It, or would you rather have a night at The Overlook? Which
1: Overlook, the every day. Overlook. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, Are you more into his short stories or full novels? Novels. And lastly, the final question of the challenge. Would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? Oh,
1: my God. I got Annie, I guess. Annie? Oh, God, I guess Annie. I might live. (laughs) Cujo, I'm dead. (laughs)
0: yeah no it's 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 a tough choice it's tough
1: that's the that's the worst choice i hated both of those
0: (laughs) well you made a choice it's okay you you've got you've got that weekend to win it
1: wasn't a good one though Uh, maybe
0: maybe maybe you could write a special novel for her as well she might like um cool okay i mean caitlin thank you so much we we are we are at the at the end of this now it's uh, it's been really great to chat about you and and your work and all of the great stuff you've got going on as well as king um just before we finish just to to throw it over to you just to let people know where they can find you remind them what you've got coming up um so yeah flora's laws yours where can people well where can people get more of you
1: yeah um feel free to follow me on social media my handle's always just Caitlin Marceau so it should be easy enough to find me um if you want to find my bibliography uh, it's on CaitlinMarceau.ca also a great snapshot of a website that hasn't been updated in like 10 years so that is the place to go <laughs> um otherwise you can find my books pretty much everywhere they're sold uh i have my debut novel it wasn't supposed to go like this coming out in september um i have my second novella coming out this summer uh called i'm having regrets um and if you're like i don't want to read either of those that's okay because i have a horror adaptation of a midsummer night's dream coming out in december called but a dream yeah Uh,
0: the the great stuff continues um (laughs) Kaylin, thank you so much for your time really appreciate it it's it's great to chat to you and uh, thank
1: you so much for having me
0: oh it's it's been a pleasure and I just I'm just looking forward to seeing what continues to come next because like it's been a wild ride for you so far and it's it it only looks like it's going to keep going so um so thank (laughs) Thank you so much and um and and yeah and take care you too told you that was a good way to round off the season huge thanks to caitlin for all of her time and her energy and congratulations on the awards the novels and all of the stuff that she's announced since we recorded this chat and we didn't even get to talk about in that interview if you need a catch up just go find her on social media and you can see what she's been up to now as i said at the start of the episode this is the last episode of this season so thank you for sticking with me and checking out all these constant writers with me if there's any you've missed or perhaps if you didn't catch up with season one go through the feed and go and discover some more new indie horror author talent there is loads out there and i've been fortunate enough to speak to 12 of them so far if you've enjoyed this podcast then tell a friend about it leave a rating leave a review share an episode with somebody if you can follow or subscribe depending on where you listen or watch these then hey go ahead and do that I'd be really appreciated. And let me know if you'd like another season of this. I'd certainly like to do one. Got some ideas. But you know, let me know. And let me know if there's anyone in particular you think I should be talking to. But other than that, again, thank you for coming on this journey with me through this season. We've done two seasons already this year. Maybe we'll get a third one in before the end of the year. Who knows? But yeah, keep an eye on your feed because, all being well, I'll be back sometime relatively soon with another concert writer for you